1: This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon.
2: Hi, this is Sean Cahill, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. And that you have just heard is the brand new intro music to the show a uh, good friend of the show, Andreas Freeman style on Twitter has kindly given me permission to use that theme tune and I've edited and changed it a little bit just to stick over some famous quotes. I'm sure you recognise all, if not most of them over the intro as well. really like the sound of it and it was about time the show had its kind of own identity as well, folks. So thank you very much and thanks to everyone who sent in suggestions as well. Stick around at the end of the episode because you will hear the new outro for the show which, again, was very kindly granted me permission by Sean Cahill. That's at Minty Hyperspace on Twitter. And it's a piece of his own making called Goblin Problems, which I absolutely love. If you like that kind of indie Beck sound to it, then you'll like it, folks. Please stick around to listen to that at the end of the show as well. So this week's guest for Episode 9 is Michael Mazzola. He, of course, is director of Unacknowledged and Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, famously Stephen Greer's 2. Very popular, very controversial documentaries, depending which side of the fence you fall down on. This week, folks, this episode's coming out on the weekend of July 4th, July 5th. Again, happy Independence Day to all our American listeners and to everyone else around the world listening, in which we do have listeners in most countries. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the show. I appreciate all your feedback and, of course, just your listens to the show. It's been incredible hearing from everyone. So this week, we've got this episode out this weekend with Michael Mazzola. We will have the Skinwalker Watch Along in the next 24 to 48 hours, episode 5 will drop on Patreon as an early access exclusive. And again, folks, the show is always going to be free for you guys to listen to. I've kept adverts off the show deliberately, which we could do. However, the show is not free to make. It does have hosting costs and quite a lot of my time as well. But, you know, it's it's a labour of love and I really enjoy doing it. And I love getting out there for all of you to listen to. So if you can support in any way, head over to patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast and consider supporting the show for some bonus goodies as well so that's episode five of the skinwalker watch along with myself and dan that's at signal on twitter and we'll be discussing that in the next 24 to 48 hours folks during the week, a couple of guests who i won't name just yet but i'll drop their names on twitter pretty soon we have a remote viewer and a very, very famous abductee coming on to the show on the next couple of weeks as well. And of course, episode 10, one I have been really looking forward to. The interview is already recorded and in the can. You've seen me talk about it quite a lot on Twitter, no doubt. Sorry if I've, un- I've bored you with it. But it's Anthony Lepay that is the executive director of the Unidentified America's Investigation into UFOs. That premieres July 11th on History Channel and... Anthony gave us very generously 45 minutes of his time, and I made sure I used every second of that 45 minutes, folks. Anthony discusses a lot of content, which is going to really whet your appetite for Season 2, and dare I say, potentially a Season 3. And when you hear some of the stuff that didn't make it into Season 2, you'll appreciate what I'm talking about. So folks, Anthony Lippi interview, that'll be out on 8th of July, as that's the earliest I can release the episode due to network restrictions. But you're really going to enjoy that one, folks. Of course, everyone's going to be watching Unidentified Season 2 on July 11th. That's, of course, the US air date. The rest of the world, eh, not quite sure yet, especially for those folks in the UK like myself. There's no official date yet. But as soon as I hear that, the network have told me they'll let me know. And I can broadcast that out as well. And I'll put it on Twitter and stuff too, folks. So, awesome. I hope you enjoy the show. Next up, after this very short message, is Michael Mazzola.
0: This is Andrew Hall, host of Dead Hand Radio, a podcast about the Cold War and its effects on our culture, technology, and the future. Join me, and together we'll explore this fascinating period of history and examine the incredible advancements in weapons, technology, science, and culture and discuss how it all relates to the future of our world. My goal is to explore these topics with the audience to learn, to educate, to entertain, and exchange ideas with those interested. Dead Hand Radio is available on all podcast platforms, or you can visit deadhandradio.com to learn more about the show. You can also hit me on Twitter at deadhandradio, or email me at deadhandradio at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch. This is Andrew Hall, signing off.
1: Coming back from that message, folks, we have uh, a very, very, very popular guest, if the listener questions are anything to go by that have been sent in, Uh, Michael Mazzola, who is director of Unacknowledged and Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, Stephen Greer's two documentaries both coming out in 2017, and more recently Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind coming out this year. Michael, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. No, and thank you for um, being so generous for your time. Uh, we're recording this where it's uh, the morning over here in the UK, just to break the fourth wall of podcasting, because you could listen to this at any time. But Michael's obviously up a bit later out in, in Los Angeles. So much appreciated you can uh, come on the podcast at a late hour. Oh, my pleasure. I'm a night owl anyway. Awesome. No, that's great. Listen, we'll get right into it because I've got a lot to ask you about. And like I say, we got a ton of listener questions sent in as well. So I want to try and get through as many of those as possible. So first off, Michael, um, you're obviously most famously attached, uh, as it stands anyway, not pending any future work with Dr. Stephen Greer and two of the the biggest UFO documentaries of all time. So I just want to know a little bit first of how did you and Dr. Greer first end up getting together and getting in touch with each other?
2: So I, I actually um I was such a super fan of Dr. Greer and I would watch all of his YouTube videos and uh I had actually just emailed I cold emailed his website when I saw um one of his videos he was saying oh you know we're looking for a filmmaker to make the next movie this was this was after serious which I had donated to and I'd gone to the premiere in LA um you know And I think I shook Greer's hand for a second and then, you know, his assistants kind of like pushed me away, and that was the end of that. And then, you know, a year or two later I saw this YouTube video and he's like, Oh, we're looking for a filmmaker. And I thought, well, you know, this video is six months old. I'm sure he's already found somebody, but I'll try it anyway. So I shot him an email and, you know, got on the phone with him a few days later and we just clicked. And uh, he gave me a shot at uh, making unacknowledged and uh, the rest is history. I know it's not a very exciting story,
1: but uh, it's, that's what happened. <laughs> but, but no, that is pretty amazing that you reached out to him, um, obviously, for, for the sorry for the documentary. So was there some kind of interview process? What kind of happened next?
2: Well, um, he, he came out to L.A. and we had kind of a brainstorming session. And, you know, it was it was clear that Unacknowledged was the right movie for that moment in time. But the film he always dreamt of making was Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, because that's really his life's work, mm-hmm. is the CE5 stuff. But, you know, it, it, we knew that um, you couldn't just hit people over the head with, you know, telepathically communicating with aliens you we had to kind of lay some kind of foundation so that's what unacknowledged was actually all about we don't even mention ce5 we we allude to it at the end we don't even say the word ce5 um and you know unacknowledged is kind of like disclosure potty training you know like so many people have said to me oh my god that movie blew my mind and i'm glad it did because that's what it was supposed to do but you know i always say well you know that's really just the beginning the, the real stuff is going to be in the next movie um uh, which just came out a couple months ago finally and uh and that one's called close encounters of the fifth kind which is more of like the graduate course in ufology as opposed to the potty training in unacknowledged
1: so what was your own beliefs on the topic and subject going into those meetings with steven greer what what was your thoughts on the ufo subject
2: well I was actually already pretty well informed on this because I'd been following his stuff and doing tons of research, but I actually used to be a hardcore skeptic and a debunker and I hated anything paranormal or supernatural. And I, I would I would argue with people. I loved doing it and I would debunk, you know, conspiracies, aliens, God, religion, um, ESP and psychic phenomenon, I would just trash all of it. And you know I had friends who were also skeptics and they would say, "Oh I wish I could believe in aliens or I wish I could believe in God or whatever. Uh, but I just you know I'm just not convinced and I, I would say to them, why? Why would you want to believe this stuff? Because I didn't just not believe in it. I did not want it to be true. I was opposed to be, I was opposed to it being true. And, you know, I, I wanted to be able to defeat any argument that came my way because I started meeting, you know, kind of like smarter people who were better at defending these things. And so I thought, well, I better really do some research and make sure that I can just smack down any argument that comes my way. And the moment I looked at arguments against my own position, my position completely collapsed. And I realized that I was just completely full of shit and the people I was listening to were completely full of shit and that these people aren't skeptical at all. Um, They're not skeptical of the media. They're not skeptical of the government. They're not skeptical of the intel agencies, of academia, of, you know, just these superstitions about reality. And that's what materialism is which is the current scientific orthodoxy it's just an absolutely ridiculous superstition an unexamined assumption about reality and i just i couldn't believe it and i was really pissed off um because like i said i didn't want any of this stuff to be true i'm not someone who who wanted to believe and i was out there looking to be convinced um, and I also did not have like the, you know, the, the big conversion experience, you know, on the road to, D- to Damascus, I didn't see a UFO in the sky. Um, it was just looking at the evidence, uh, the evidence for UFOs, the science of consciousness, and, you know, traditional theism and, you know, ESP and all this kind of stuff. And so then I had to ask myself, well, why is it? that I was so opposed to this being real. And, you know, the best answer I could come up with was, well, if this shit is real, then you have to take responsibility for that information. You know, if if the science of consciousness is real, you you have to take responsibility for the thoughts that you're thinking and the reality that you're creating. You know, if if UFOs are real and visiting Earth, you know, I, I have to do something about that. I can't just keep that to myself. And since the only thing I know how to do is make movies, um, you know, that's what I decided to do.
1: And that's amazing if you've got that platform to do that. I mean, I suppose, like to myself, what I can do is get a microphone and a laptop and make a podcast. So, so yeah, you're just taking it up a notch in, in, in that sense. So that's really interesting that you kind of converted yourself almost in your own way of thinking, which I imagine would lead you to still being quite fluid and your own belief system on the topic and the subject and that no one knows 100%? And that's something I'm going to get to later on with some of the questions I've got. But would you still oh, say that you, you, your belief system could change?
2: Oh, absolutely. My beliefs are, are evolving all the time with more research. Um, but, you know, what's you know, whose beliefs never change are the people who call themselves skeptics. And they have this motto, which I used to repeat all the time to people, which is extraordinary claims require extra, extraordinary evidence, you know? Um, but when you put that extraordinary evidence in front of people, you know they just they just dismiss it. you know I, I have this conversation all the time that kind of goes like this. I'll be arguing with, with one of these, you know, not not just like an average open-minded person who, who's unconvinced, but I mean like the hardcore skeptics. and I'll say, okay, what would convince you what is the criteria that would convince you what if hypothetically we had a bunch of senior government faa nasa and you know cia officials military officials who came forward and held a press conference and admitted to the whole cover-up and then what if um you know an astronaut who walked on the moon came forward and said that there's an alien presence on earth. And then the CIA published millions of pages of documents on their own website that documented the whole thing. Would that convince you? And the person invariably says, yes, that would convince me. And I say, great, because all of that has already happened. And then before I can like explain, they cut me off and say, well, that doesn't mean anything. And that's because it's not really about the evidence with these people. Um, if it was, we would be having a very different conversation. The conversation humanity would be having is, "What do we do about this?" Um, so I, I think it's this is really more about ideology and fear, not necessarily fear that aliens are going to come and get us, but more like the, the fear of, you know, have you know having to readdress your your own paradigm. And then and take responsibility for, for um, you know, really scrutinizing your own beliefs. I think that is actually the block that, um, that keeps so many people from really accepting this. And I want to say one other thing, because you, you said you know, it's great that I have this big platform. It, it is great, but I did not anticipate it at all. When I was making Unacknowledged, I thought we were going to throw this movie on Vimeo and if half a million people saw it, I was going to just be thrilled. And, um, and we had an amazing distributor. Um, and, uh, in case our rep there is listening, thank you, Jim Martin, for taking a chance on this. You know, we, there's, a, a, an independent Hollywood studio and there's one guy there who was a big fan of Greer and really into CE5 and he stuck his neck out in a big way to take a chance on this crazy movie. And ended up really blowing it up. And so it was just like, you know, it it, it was, uh, we're very, very lucky that we ended up getting the, you know, reaching the audience that we did. Because that's not how it was originally set up.
1: Yeah. And if, for those who didn't know, there's a very small family run business called Netflix that have picked it up as well. So um, <laughs> there's, there's the opportunity to go and watch it on there if you sign up. I, th- I think it's relatively easy to do. So a few a few people have seen it. Um, it was quite interesting what you were saying there, though, about those skeptics. Now, is that something that you as a director and a filmmaker have in your mind when you're making this documentary, that this is going to be seen and aimed at that portion of an audience? Is that a difficulty you have, or do you enjoy that challenge?
2: Yes, um, but absolutely. Was it, we, we knew that this was going to be scrutinized within an inch of its life and by people who are unwilling to be convinced by this. Um, And, you know, look, this movie, you know, it could have been unacknowledged could have been a 100 different films, because we have so many, there's not one smoking gun, we present one smoking gun after another, after another, after another. And we really didn't have time to actually do any of these justice. We're just blowing through them. And that was kind of Greer's concept when we were first discussing the movie. He's like, I want to hit people over the head with another explosive fact every 60 seconds. I'm like, yeah, we can do that. And we pretty much did that. And it it's really overwhelming. Um, but, you know, if I hadn't made the film, if I was just watching the film, I wouldn't be convinced by it. And that wasn't the goal to like completely convince people. It was to... The goal was to show open-minded people that there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that is worth their consideration, that is worth them taking the subject matter seriously and doing their own investigation to see, you know, what they end up believing or not believing. Um, and, you know, because like we're, we're throwing these documents on the screen for like seconds at a time, because so we've got to get to the next one. And, you know, we could have done a whole documentary just on, you know, like the Wilbur Smith document, you know, like there's such a treasure trove here. So it is our hope that, you know, people um, get kind of overwhelmed watching the film, but then go and actually, you know, investigate the stuff. Because a lot of this is just on Greer's website and it's in other places. Some of it's on the FBI or the CIA's website. You know, you can go look for yourself, you know, don't take our word for it, but you know, we I'm, we really have to like stop being so defensive with uh, with the skeptics and realize that they're not skeptical at all. They are cynical debunkers, and they are basically religious fundamentalists. But their religion, you know, they, they've kind of made their intellect the the um, uh, the the object of their worship. You know, they are. Um, they're hardcore materialists and we can kind of get into that a little bit later on if you want to, but they're, they're not skeptical of, you know, like I said earlier, the media, the government, academia, I feel like you can't end up hosting a UFO podcast if you're not extremely skeptical of everything you've been told in your life. You know, like you have to be skeptical to even start asking these questions um, and not just blindly accept that. Oh, well, you know, NASA said that there's no aliens. So there's no aliens. You know, I'm skeptical of that. That's why I'm sitting here talking to you. So I think we have to stop, you know, sort of trying to please these people because they're they are not playing fair. Um, they're misrepresenting, you know, sort of the game that they're playing they say that they're all about science and reason, but it's actually not true at all. And I think we just got to start being confident and uh, and just dismiss these people the way they've dismissed us for a long time.
1: So with, with that in mind and three years hindsight, is there anything if you could go back now and change about unacknowledged that you would?
2: Uh, yes. Um, there was, I used the wrong... I, 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 um, in the Marilyn Monroe sequence, we talk about a, um, a reporter at the time named, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen and I used the wrong image for her. I used an image of somebody else. Um, and that was just a mistake. Um, you know, other than that, you know, like there are aesthetic tweaks that I would like to make. Um, you know, it was pretty low budget kind of thing, but um, in terms of the content, you know, there's nothing that's been debunked, and God knows a lot of people have tried.
1: And is that something you, you know? Obviously, you've got a relationship with Doctor Greer. That is, is he also still happy with the message that was created then that kind of carries forward to now? Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. He's he's very proud of that. Um, and the film has been seen, you know, if you count the piracy, which of course I do, um, it's I've been seen, seen I've by... Seen,
1: I've seen you had a bit I've of an argument about that on Twitter a few times as well recently, which uh, there was a bit of a back and forward between a few people with you about piracy numbers. But if, if you've got that information, then <laughs> why not use it?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we uh, we hired an independent cyber investigations firm to kind of look into um a lot of things including you know sort of the the fan base and the reach for the movie and uh they were able to document every single torrent uh every single download and you know you add up the numbers and you've got you know a ridiculous percentage of this planet has seen this you know this random ufo documentary so yeah i guess uh, i guess we should just be proud of that i don't
1: know absolutely and i think even without that getting that message out there you know famously and we're going to come on to it soon talking about close encounters of the fifth kind that if we can change or get one percent of the world's population involved in in ce5 then that can make a huge difference to what dr greed and his disclosure project want to achieve and what you're trying to achieve with your filmmaking but just to finish off and unacknowledge, is there anything that came close to being included within the footage or the documentary that just never quite made it for one reason or another that you wish you could have gotten.
2: Yeah. You know, actually um, there was, we did shoot a segment about the Atacama humanoid, but it just, it just didn't fit in the flow of the movie in the final cut. It was just kind of this tangent. It felt like, but the Atacama humanoid, this is like the, you know, like the, the baby alien mutant thing that they found in the Atacama desert uh, that was documented in Sirius. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when, when Sirius came out, you know, that, uh, that Atacama humanoid thing that became one of the biggest stories on the internet. It was the top story in Huffington post, like people were paying attention and, you know, Greer's team at the time they had Dr. Gary Nolan uh, from Stanford, you know, do all of the you know DNA analysis on this thing. And, you know, when the story really, really blew up, um, you know, he came, for you know, he and others kind of said, Oh, yeah, you know, it's just like a mutant monkey or whatever, you know, whatever he said to just sort of dismiss it. But I'm gonna tell you, that is not true. I've had a number of conversations with Gary Nolan And he tells a very different story behind the scenes. Uh, He was threatened. Um, We have, you know, emails. Uh, There there is a uh, video I'm going to get my hands on of a lecture he gave in 2014, a presentation he was giving to a room full of scientists where he's discussing his findings on all of this. And, you know, this was... You know, I actually had a conversation with him at the premiere of Sirius. You know, because in the movie he said something to the i haven't seen the movie since the premiere so i'm i'm just going to paraphrase but he said something to the effect of you know i want to say more but i don't want to invite ridicule on my institution you know stanford university so i went up to him at the after party and i said hey what was it that you wanted to say but didn't want to say on camera and i expected to get kind of like a bullshit answer from him but he was very direct he said This thing was made, this thing is not human, but it was made from human DNA. And I said, what, made by aliens? And he's like, yes, that's what I think. And then he continued to study it, you know, after that film was made. And, you know, I got to get my hands on this video. I actually know who has it. It's a presentation he gave in San Francisco in 2014 at the uh, Society for Scientific Exploration uh, Conference. And, you know, he wasn't denying uh, what this thing was then. Um, But, you know, when the media heat really and, and, you know, the pressure really got to him and, you know, and when he started getting threatened, that's when he backed off. So this was a massive cover up. And we shot a whole sequence for unacknowledged on that. And it just didn't flow, you know. um, So we left that out but I should find that and maybe put it on the internet, throw it on YouTube or something.
1: Given the timing and what's going on now and maybe how open things are about to become if they're, if they're not open already someone like Gary would be more, maybe more happy to come out now and go back on that story and get, Yeah, get I his mean opinion.
2: maybe, I mean he won't he won't answer my emails anymore but uh, I could give it a shot. Um, he's not a bad guy I mean, it's it's a lot to ask of anyone to stick their necks out like that and endure that kind of ridicule. So, you know, I, I don't I don't blame the guy, but there was definitely a massive cover-up.
1: Something you've touched on there. I'm gonna jump forward a question or two that I had, but I think it's the right time. How does the, the documentary or filming community judge someone like you that comes into this topic and subject?
2: Uh, that's uh, that's such an interesting question. Um, so, like, how do how do like other film people in Hollywood kind of look yeah, at me? Because there's, there's, um, a, there's <laughs> a
1: stigma. You're not making Independence Day, which this has been recorded on the Fourth of July. So again, Happy Independence Day to, to yourself and American listeners. But you're not making a movie about you know a, a potentially fictional subject or an alien invasion or or signs or close encounters of the third kind. You're you're approaching a topic that's widely ridiculed and has a massive stigma still attached to it. While that might be getting better, it's still there. So how, how is someone like yourself judged that you're trying to approach this really seriously?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> um, if you, if you Google, you know, my name and the Hollywood reporter or variety, you know, you're going to see some really vicious stuff. Um, you know, at least variety was like, they, 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 elevated viciousness to an art form, but, uh, uh, Hollywood Reporter, they weren't even, they weren't, they weren't even creative with the attacks on me. But you know what, like in terms of the community here, um, I've made a lot of great connections because of these films, um, with, you know, filmmakers and executives who are into this stuff. Um, so, you know, they'll tell me, you know, great job. I love the movie. And so I've been able to unlock some opportunities from that. But at the same time, I've lost a lot of friends. And I've had a lot of doors slam in my face. Um, and, you know, I remember being in a pitch meeting in 2015 and had one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. I can't say her name. She's, if I listed the movies that she did, and they're pretty awesome. And she looked at me and said, oh, you believe in pod people and it's just, you know, I get a lot of shit like that. So, you know, the, the U F there's, there's tons of UFO fans who think this stuff is cool and they're happy to support me, but there's plenty of people who just roll their eyes and think I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist. It's, it's pretty mixed. Um, at the end of the day though, um, you know, we showed Hollywood, that they can make money investing in this content. Um, and that has opened the door for a lot of other filmmakers trying to tell these kinds of stories who would never get funding for this and would never get distribution, are now you know getting these amazing stories out there. Um, you know a lot of it through our distributor 1091 media who ended up creating a whole paranormal department uh, based on, the success of UnAcknowledged, so I'm I'm very happy that we were able to sort of clear a path for other people.
1: Just to wrap up UnAcknowledged, then. So once the films came out, you've talked about that um, reception, you've talked about those numbers. How did things sort of change for you and Doctor Greer? Is it what you expected to happen afterwards, or was it was it more than that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, Greer knew from day one that it was going to be a smash hit. You know, he just he totally knew it. Um, the dude is uh like a masterful manifester. Um, and I, I was thinking like, you know, I don't know who's gonna want to see this movie. you know, it's gonna be pretty niche. So I was just completely blown away by the by the reception. Um, and we didn't, we didn't get too much negative press, actually. We kind of got ignored by the mainstream media. Uh, unlike with Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind where we really just got massacred uh, by, the, by the, uh, um, the Hollywood press. But, um, but yeah, like Steve, he totally knew it was going to be successful and he was right.
0: So
1: that leads us on then nicely to how, how does Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind come about? You've talked about how it's almost a continuation or it's the, it's the big brother to the baby brother of unacknowledged. Yes. How does that come about? Is it something you're already talking about during the first the first documentary being filmed to, to go on to the second?
2: Yeah, it was always Greer's intention, you know, to make close encounters of the fifth kind, but he knew that people weren't ready for it. And we had to we had to give him unacknowledged first to kinda you know, give give everyone like a foundation in this stuff. But you know, like we're unacknowledged, kind of lays out the problem that we're facing. Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind presents the solution, and there's so much debate going on right now. I spend, as you've probably noticed, I spend way too much time on UFO Twitter, arguing with people, and there, there's so much debate right now over what is what is the right way to go about disclosure. You know, what what how would you even define disclosure? What counts as disclosure? You know, what do we need to do? Um, and uh, what needs to happen in the world for that to, for, for that to occur? And you know, I'm I, I come down on the side of of Dr. Greer that the way to you know the way to really accomplish this is not going to be through electing the right people or lobbying certain government officials, but to actually bypass these people and try to make direct contact. And, you know, if your audience isn't familiar, close encounters of the fifth kind, it's a protocol for initiating contact with ET. So close encounters of the first kind is when you see a UFO in the sky. The second kind is when there's some kind of evidence left behind, a physical trace, like a crop circle. Uh, the third kind is when you see the occupant of a craft, you know, an ET. The fourth kind is when you're taken on board uh, an ET craft, and the fifth kind is human-initiated contact, and we can we can go into like how, how all that might work because it sounds totally crazy uh, if you're not already really immersed in this stuff. But you know, in the film, we 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 try to give you like a good sort of historical and scientific and philosophical framework to approach this but ultimately you know you you can understand this stuff conceptually uh, but if you don't participate in the experience this, this information is completely worthless to you you know and so we our goal was to you know get people to just stop you know thinking about it and fighting over it and analyzing it and go out there and just actually experience it and participate in it because you know there are hundreds of thousands of people doing ce5 every day and having absolutely life-changing experiences and if we can reach a certain threshold of humanity participating in this which is very easy to do and anyone can do it you don't have to be you know steven greer or whatever to do this um you know we could fill the skies with et craft and that's how you get disclosure
1: have you tried ce5 yourself
2: have first time I did it, you know, you know, Dr. Greer always, you know, he goes out on these these expeditions, these beautiful locations. They go out under the stars, late at night, and and you know they're in these really secluded places. But you know, the first time I did it, I went with um, some friends. One of them was Jim Martin, who's in the film. He's a producer of the film, and he actually shot the best footage in the movie. He shot it in his backyard in Long Beach, but we just went to a park in Los Angeles. Like in the middle of the day, at like two in the afternoon in a crowded park. And, you know, I, I didn't really expect much because uh, I thought you had to be, you know, doing yoga in the desert for 10 years to pull this off. Um, and, and, but no, it, we were absolutely surrounded with these incredible, um, pulsating, met like liquid metallic is kind of what it looked like. It kind of looked like trans-dimensional Chinese dragons. It's kind of what it looked like. Um and it was it was mind blowing. So that was my first experience.
1: So what I would ask you, you, you remember uh, a year or so ago we had the Storm Storm Area 51. Um, became oh, yeah. a bit of a viral sensation. How intelligent it is to storm a military base where they could shoot you on sight, I don't know. But obviously it didn't really come to come to that, which is good, but it, it did get kind of attention in the eyes on that. Is, is there no plans or what, what would the thinking be behind doing something with CE5 where you get some mainstream attention, you try and get it going viral, and you would get a group to stand outside the White House on a certain night, get some media there, and you summon one of these craft above the White House?
2: Uh, That's actually a cool idea. Um, I don't necessarily think it it needs to be over the White House. I think you could do it over any major city, and that'll be enough to to capture everyone's attention. But uh, I, I think that the idea you just suggested is a lot more likely to succeed than storming a military base which i thought was just silly i mean i'm glad on one level that it brought some attention to the issue but that's such a that's such a like you know low human level sort of solution to a very complex uh problem you know, we're, we're going to just, you know, we're just storm in there and demand they release this stuff. I mean, first of all, there's nothing at Area 51 anymore. There's been too much attention on that facility for too long. So anything, anything cool has been moved to other facilities a long time ago. But, um, you know, even if you could get, you know, past the gate in one of these facilities, you're not going to get access to the underground tunnels and the underground facilities where where the stuff is kept. And you'll probably just get shot. So I don't recommend doing that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think anything that would be of interest there is behind the first open door that you get to, to be honest. I imagine it would be a desk with some paper and a guy sitting behind a telephone. So, um, so
2: yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no, not not going to be any you know alien welcoming you with a martini and slippers.
1: It's not going to happen unless that's what they want you to see, but yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that's, that's a whole other conversation. So listen, so you're now getting into close encounters of the fifth kind and the the premise for this, like you see, is all about initiating this contact with ET craft. And for me, what I really enjoyed about this particular piece was a lot of the footage, like you say, if it is Jim Martin, that some of the best footage had filmed, that really interests me. Um, other parts of the documentary. Now you have mentioned that the mainstream Hollywood media tore you to bits on this one, but they avoided you and for unacknowledged. Would you say that's a sign of progress in your end that this was picked up and not ignored again?
2: It might be. Um, it, it might be a sign that we just had a better publisher this time, who is, you know, or you know, or, or, or not publisher, publicist, or it might be just that because of COVID, the. Hollywood movie reviewers didn't have a lot of stuff to review. So they were stuck reviewing our movie. You know, I, I can't say that it's because we're winning. But we are winning in the sense that we are, um, you know, I, I actually, once again, had kind of low expectations for CE5. I thought, well, sure, you know, unacknowledged reach, lo- reach lots of people. But that movie was made for people who don't know anything about this stuff. You know, CE5, it's so, complicated and it's so it's so abstract and esoteric and and like crazy on the surface you know this is going to be very very niche and you know we've ended up doing just as well with close encounters we did with unacknowledged which you know makes me makes me really happy because we're reaching we're actually reaching people with this uh it's not just going to you know the diehard you know core fan base who already know about this stuff you know, I mean, this movie was made for them in the sense that this is the film that you could show your friends and family to kind of be like, OK, this, this is what I've been trying to talk to you about with the CE5 stuff. Um, but, um, you know, this this film seems to really be uh, reaching a decent audience. And um, I'm very uh, pleasantly surprised and, and delighted by that.
1: So I want to ask is Dr. Greer, obviously, in this one, this is something that you say has been very close to his heart, and this is what he's been building towards. So a couple of questions then for you about Dr. Greer himself and, and how it relates, especially to the to this movie. So he does get criticism for being overly emotive in his interviews, and he, he does cry, which is, you know, nothing wrong with crying. Maybe being Scottish, it's not something we do, but have you got a view a view on that is it something as a director that you you like to see that kind of emotion because it looks good on a camera or do you think it's something that you can see why it does put some people off
2: yeah you know I got really you know when we test screened it and I got really mixed sort of uh responses on that but you know um the thing is, you know, Greer is such, he, he's such a uh, talented speaker. You know, if you ever see him on stage, he like he never misses a beat. He doesn't stutter. He never says, um, you know, like he's so put together. He's so good. He's such a great teacher. You know, he's great at what he does. But for unacknowledged, I was like, well, you know, I've seen that side of Steve in all of his presentations and YouTube videos. I want to get a sense of who this guy is. I've got to ask him questions. They're going to kind of throw him off his script a little bit. You know, I've got to throw him off and get some authentic answers. Not to say that he's being inauthentic when he's giving presentations, but, you know, he's been doing it for a really, really long time. So he's had practice at it and it's, you know, it's polished and I didn't want him to be so polished in unacknowledged. So you know, I spent a lot of time with him before we shot that interview and I kind of got a good sense of maybe where, you know, I might be able to trip him up a little bit, but I didn't even have to do it. Like I had a question in mind that I'm not going to repeat, um, but I had a question in mind that I was going to ask him to try to get any kind of emotional response from this guy, you know? I hadn't seen any hint of it. Um, and I, I didn't even have to do that. He just started, you know, he was talking about, you know, how he got involved in the disclosure project. And then he just broke down. And so many people have criticized that moment and unacknowledged. And they're like, oh, spare me the crocodile tears. Oh, it's fake. Dude, it was not fake at all. It went on for like a solid five minutes. We had to cut and take a break. And it was, I, you know, a lot of people told me I don't like that crying or whatever. I, don't, I think he actually didn't like it either. But, you know, I was so moved by it and I loved it. And I said, no, this is going in the movie. Um, and then, you know, the same thing happened when we were doing his interview for for Close Encounters. Um you know, it, it just sort of, it happened kind of spontaneously. I asked him, what keeps you up at night? You know, and that was the, you don't hear me ask the question in the film. Um, and in the second part of his answer, he he broke down. And, you know, I think he, I think it was important to show that, even though some people think it's fake or whatever, it's not. Um, but he gets so much criticism that I think is really unfair. And I wanted to show people, he really didn't want to cry, by the way, in Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And he pretty much had editorial approval on everything, but I really fought him on that and convinced them to let me include it because it, it shows, this is a real human being who isn't trying to just like carve out a cottage industry for himself and be a disclosure star like a lot of people are? And I'm not going to name any names because you probably know who they are. But this is a guy who, you know, got pulled into doing this. He never sought out to do this, you know, and he paid a huge price. Um, so I completely stand by those moments in both films. I fought to keep them in both films. And I know a lot of people think it's bullshit, but it's not. These were really raw, intense moments when we were filming. And, you know, I'm sorry if it comes across as inauthentic because it was, it was really powerful shit when it was happening in the moment.
1: How aware is Doctor Greer of his perception and his character? And I say character in the sense that he is a very strong personality. Like you say, I've I've seen numerous, and we will have YouTube clips and documentaries and pieces of him. I'm speaking, and like you say, when he does those presentations, and it's it's nice to hear him trip up sometimes and maybe give that emotion or breakdown because the best actors can stand and reel off lines. But like you say, if you have managed to get that that out of him that you weren't expecting, that, that's good from that point of view. But is he aware that he does come across as, as this character within the UFO community? And, and what does he think of that, the way he kind of gets portrayed?
2: Dr. Greer is very aware of how he's perceived by a lot of people. Um, and he doesn't give a shit because he's doing the best that he can do with the resources that he has um, you know, he's taken so, I mean, he's had members of his team assassinated. They've he's had, he's nearly lost his own life. a number of times he's endured the most horrific ridicule and character assassination and betrayal. And uh, that like, he just, he doesn't give a shit what, you know, what um you know what certain people think um you know you gotta keep in mind that this is until recently um and i'm not speaking for steve i'm just speaking from my own point of view um until recently like in the last 10 years um this was a field that um tended to attract like the two it's not a very nice thing to say but like the two extreme ends of the bell curve like people who have like who are so dysfunctional they've got nothing else going on in their life except this so they could be in on the big secret um and then people who are so smart that it takes something like this to hold their attention right i mean that's like a a, uh, a roundabout way of saying like There were a lot of freaks and weirdos, you know, in the UFO subculture, and you know, Dr. Greer set out to build a movement um, that could actually reach, you know, average people, you know, uh, like normal people with this stuff, and take it out of the fringe. Um, And he had to do that with no resources, and he also with, you know this entire government corporate rogue military apparatus actively working against him and trying to kill him and members of his team so of course he's going to you know as a survival mechanism he's got to cultivate this really intense leadership style because that's what's going to keep him and his team alive you know uh, you've got a handful of volunteers and you're surrounded by a sea of weirdos and people trying to kill you, you know. And it's like, how do you turn that into an actual movement that could actually change the world and reach average people and not get killed in the process? So, you know, I think that, um, I could see why his, um, his style can turn off people who are used to being, you know, sort of coddled and handheld and all of that. But if you spend time with Dr. Greer, like he's here to just get the job done and and get it over with. You know, it's like we have an emergency on this planet. We've got to get our shit together. And I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to accomplish the mission. And I respect him so much for that, um, for doing what he thinks is right, even if it's unpopular. Um, and yeah, that's it. I, I don't know if that answer made sense. I was kind of rambling,
1: but no, no, it did. And listen, that the, these aren't the the easiest questions to ask, but I do want to ask one more on that because again, it's this is your opinion, and I'm not expecting you to speak for Dr. Greer. Um, but you've got that relationship with him that I, I think your opinion is valid on this. So, what would you say to those who? would look at something like the CE5 app that was released and again there was a bit of an outcry at the time due to the fact it was there was a cost associated with it and that people were looking at the fact that on one hand you want 1% of the population to initiate ET contact through these methods that look like there's something to them but on the other hand you're you're just trying to make money off it
2: yeah i'm really happy you asked me this um, you can you can also let's extend that criticism to the movies themselves because you know we put the movies out and it was like twenty bucks for the movie for two weeks and then you know it's like four or five bucks whatever it is to rent it you know and then like it'll eventually hit a streaming site but you know if we want to wake up all these people why are we charging people money for this right well first of all. There is nothing in these movies or in the app that you can't easily find for free on YouTube or on his own website or on resources like the CE5 podcast. I mean, all this stuff has been out there forever. Um, there's there's nothing there's nothing new here, and there's nothing exclusive about it. What these are are these are. Um, these are like, um, kind of polished, slick, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, sort of presentations of this stuff and overviews of this stuff. And this is for the people who are not already on YouTube devouring all this information. This is for people who are discovering movies on Netflix, who are discovering movies on iTunes and Amazon and places like that. And if we want to be on those platforms and reach those people, it has to be a commercial endeavor. We have no choice. We cannot put movies for free on these platforms um, because we have no access to these platforms unless we work with a distributor. And the distributor sets the prices. So if we want if we want people to you know support this stuff financially and give us the money to go out there and and make these films and create the app and and you know create these tools so we can then get on these monetized platforms and and reach these new audiences we have you know we have to play by the game of these platforms otherwise we can't be on them you know um and so this is what allows us to reach new people and you know no one's getting rich off these movies except for you know the platforms and the distributor dr Greer's not getting rich off this stuff and i'm certainly not getting rich off this stuff
1: unfortunately
2: unfortunately i know yeah. But my family in Italy thinks that I'm super rich because they see, you know, number one movie on iTunes and I don't, I don't correct them, you know. I'm, I'm the, in their mind, I'm like the super successful director in Hollywood. I just, you know, I, I don't have the heart to tell them it's not true. I'll, I'll tell you, I, at the premiere um, for Unacknowledged, I was so terrified. Um, I actually snuck in the back of the theater. I didn't want to walk down my own red carpet because I'm, and then like people afterwards were coming up and like saying, Oh, congratulations. And I was like looking at my feet. I couldn't even look people in the eye. I was so terrified of putting myself out there. Um, and I don't, I don't know why that is, but, um, you know, it, cause it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not about me. This was, I just wanted to help Steve tell his story, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he, this is his work it's his life it's his accomplishment and it shouldn't be about me and honestly like i hate the attention and the scrutiny that i get um i don't i don't get off on it like like a lot of people like like everybody else in this town like, Mm-hmm. Really get off on it, but for me, it just totally traumatizes me. I don't, I don't know why that is. You could you yeah. probably cut that out because it sounds really pathetic.
0: No, uh, no, that, that's could,
2: fine. Or you, or you could leave it in. You know, I don't give a shit. But, uh.
1: <laughs> Michael, what's your thoughts on Stephen Greer? Has this narrative of friendly ETs and there's very little to be said, if anything, for them. In any way, potentially being hostile or a potential threat, versus right. a Two of the Stars Academy that have gone down the route of a threat narrative. Is it fair to say that the TTSA has been more successful than Doctor Greer in a disclosure movement?
2: Well, first of all, it's not a dick measuring contest with like you know, who's going to be the one to, you know, bring about disclosure. I mean, pe- people think that like, you know, this is what motivates Stephen Greer. And he's like, oh, he must be so jealous of Tom DeLong. And it's like, no, that's actually not it at all. Um, you know, when, when we were making Unacknowledged in 2016, that's when Tom DeLong announced to the Stars Academy. You know, and, you know, Greer turned to me and, and he's like, oh, you know, I, I have a bad feeling about this. And, you know, this could, you know, based on, you know, these press releases and what I'm seeing, this could be like, this is probably like a really bad psyop that's going to push the threat narrative. And I rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, you don't. I'm like, you don't know that, you know, like, you don't, how, how how could you know that? You know, so I just kind of dismissed it, you know, but then, (laughs) um, I started to see events unfold in a way that corresponded with Steve's analysis of the situation. He's got a, uh, an essay. He's got actually a lot of really good people don't give him credit. He's actually a really good writer. He's got some really great essays on his, uh, on his website. And one is called When Disclosure Serves Secrecy, which kind of lays out his thesis on this. But, you know, this idea that, you know, this cabal or deep state or the magic committee, whatever you want to call it, you know, is going to keep this stuff a secret for as long as possible. Um, until they, they can't keep it a secret anymore. And then they admit, okay, it's real, but it's a threat. Now, does that mean? That Lou Elizondo is in on it? Does that mean that Tom DeLong is in on it? They're trying to scam people? Of course not. Um, but, you know, was ATIP a real program? I'm sure it was. But this stuff is so compartmentalized that, you know, you're talking about what Eisenhower warned about in his farewell address, this military-industrial complex what does that actually mean? That means that the UFO stuff, which he lost control of, which is why he was giving the warning in his farewell address, is because he saw all the UFO stuff just completely, you know, uh, go rogue. Um, it's all hidden in the private sector and these rogue military groups, you know. So when these things appear over our, you know, our naval bases or our nuclear facilities our military doesn't know what these things are, you know? So it, it makes perfect sense that they would create something like a tip to analyze this, you know, potential threat. Like why wouldn't they interpret it that way? Um, these people are completely out of the loop. We included a clip in unacknowledged of a military whistleblower who was stationed in Norfolk, uh, Virginia. And he talks about a, co- you know, when code zebra was declared when one of these things, you know, uh, appeared. It was being chased by uh, our fighting jets. You know, it could have actually started a war, uh, not because ETs are hostile, but because the secrecy is so extreme that you know our own military leaders are left out of the loop, and they could attack one of these things. You know, thinking it's you know built by the Russians or the Chinese or whatever. So, the the point isn't that Tom DeLong and Luis Elizondo are out there deliberately deceiving people. But that Luis Elizondo operated in a highly compartmentalized program that didn't really have access meaningfully to any of the really cool UFO shit that's been hidden in these secret, unacknowledged programs and back-engineered for decades. Um, But he's, you know, so he's coming out and speaking from his point of view and probably telling the truth. but. Your clue that something fishy is going on is the fact that all of a sudden, the mockingbird media like CNN and Fox and the New York Times and the Washington Post are treating this seriously. We've had whistleblowers just as good, if not way better than Luis Elizondo, come forward on the record and talk about this stuff a long time ago. Go watch the Disclosure Project conference from 2001. These people were ignored or they were utterly ridiculed. But Elizondo and ATIP are being treated with the gravitas that this subject matter deserves. So could it be that Elizondo and Tom DeLong are being allowed to go up out there and being propped up by the Mockingbird media? Because their analysis of this phenomenon is in alignment with the ultimate agenda that these, this cabal, or whatever you want to call it, wants to push, which is what Werner von Braun warned about on his deathbed. That first it would be terrorists, then it would be, you know, uh, no, first it would be the Russians, then terrorists, then rogue states, then asteroids, and then finally it would be the alien threat, you know? So that's, I don't know if this is making sense. It's mm-hmm. not that we believe Elizondo is a disinformation agent. It's more that he is being elevated by this, you know, media inf- and, and governmental infrastructure because his analysis of this stuff can be used for their nefarious ends. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: The thing is, there's an element of that, though, that, again, it's, with this whole topic, it's very opinionated. And even, like, and I say as big a fan of TTSA that I am, no one knows for sure. And that's where, if I look back on, like, the the friendly E.T. versus the threat narrative, I can see the idea that when they talk about threat, it's not that these things are going to do X, Y, and Z. It's not going to be an attack. But when you look, you talked about Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, which is an abduction and one of the questions when the listeners sent in, I'll just kind of jump into that question slightly, is like people have claimed they've been abducted by these things and they've not all had friendly experiences. So would an abduction against your own will not be a form of a threat? So you can't say all these things are friendly?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me address this a couple of different ways. So first of all, um, you got to keep in mind that a lot of people have attacked us for including Richard Doty in UnAcknowledged because he is literally a disinformation agent. But the thing is, it would go back and watch his full interview that um, that Steve published on YouTube. It was put out as a special feature, but now it's f- for free on YouTube, and you can hear how Greer was drilling this guy. Um, but ultimately. Dodie admitted on camera what at least a hundred other guys have told Steve privately, but were unwilling to go on the record because they were too scared for their lives, which is that there is indeed this MyLab program where they go out and they hoax these Abduction scenarios, if, especially if you're having positive contact, because I know so many contactees, lifelong contactees, not people who are practicing CE five, but people who have been visited since they were little kids, and you know they, and then they've now they're grown up and they're still. These are some of these people are CEOs of major companies, you know, and they don't talk about this publicly, but they are lifelong contactees and they've had beautiful contact. These are the kinds of people. Not all the time, but these are the kinds of people who will get targeted with this kind of negative, scary stuff. Now, am I saying that all abduction, all scary abductions are just my labs? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that some of them are. But also keep in mind that uh, look at Travis Walton from um, Fire in the Sky right? I met this guy a bunch of times. I think he just died, but right? I'd see him you know, three times a year at these different UFO conferences. And you know, fire in the sky scared the fucking shit out of me when I was a kid. It gave me nightmares for 10 years. And, but he, was, you know, he spent the rest of his life trying to explain to people that these ETs weren't harming him, that this was misrepresented in the movie, that they actually saved his life. Because you know, he saw this craft, he ran towards it like an idiot, and you know hit some kind of energy field around it and it killed him and they brought him on board and they resuscitated him but think of it like a puppy that's being operated on by a veterinarian the puppy doesn't understand that the doctor is trying to help it right it's just a terrifying traumatizing experience so am i saying that all negative you know abduction experiences that aren't my labs are just people misinterpreting it. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that could, that could explain a lot of it. So, you know, I'm not going to, I can't rule it out conclusively, but I think that most of the, a lot, if not most or even all of these abduction experiences are being completely misinterpreted. And, um,
1: and see, can I? will come in there because yeah. that—that's a fair yeah. point. But even mm-hmm. when you look at like Richard Doty, right, and and you—you, you, I suppose it's only fair to say if you're looking at Louise Elizondo, Tom DeLong, and that they're potentially being puppeteered or they don't know it, and I—I—I I, I, I believe you know 95 percent of what they're saying is truthful and honest. And I don't doubt that there's potentially some kind of tactics in there to get a message out that they need, you know, little white lies here and there. Um. However, would the same not apply potentially to people like Doty and these hundred other people that they think they know something because that's what they've been made to believe? And there's always that chance that it's, it's not 100% correct. Not that they don't, not that they realize it and they're lying, but this is just what they have been allowed to understand. Oh,
2: that's the case with any of these witnesses. You know, all of these guys, cause this, there's like, you know, what, a, you know, 50, 60, 70 people. I don't know the number who've gone on the record in the as a disclosure project witness and for each of those people there's another hundred who've talked to Dr. Greer and his team but were unwilling to go on camera every single one of these people were part of a compartment they had a very limited experience you know Bob Lazar was part of a very limited experience, but that doesn't mean his experience wasn't true. Right. But he's very, you know, Bob Lazar is a good example because he's very cautious. You know, he won't, he'll, he'll tell you when he can't answer a question. He's like, well, look, I didn't have access to that. I don't know. You know, I just know what I saw. So what you've got to do is, you know, take what all of these people are saying and try to piece together the jigsaw puzzle. And try, to, and, and try to find a coherent picture of what you think is true. But when you've got dozens and dozens of people saying to Dr. Greer and his team that they participated in these military abduction programs where they were actually on the ships going out and doing it, you know, that, that tells you that that is a real operation and that's happening, you know? And, you know, Richard Doty was just the first one to go on camera. But we're working on others, Um, so you know you're 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 absolutely correct. Um, But Dr. Greer isn't just you know taking these things at face value. He spent years, along with the rest of his team, like Danny Sheehan, who's been researching this stuff for fifty years, um, you know, really trying to piece together a, a coherent. A, a coherent uh, picture of this where you've got multiple corroborating testimonies um for each element that you include in your jigsaw puzzle um so you know look i can't condemn i can you know i guess i shouldn't condemn ttsa out of hand right away um And my, my problem with them isn't even so much the whole language about national security threat. What really makes me suspicious is how they're being propped up by the New York Times and, uh, and the mainstream media. These are the, these are utterly corrupt and controlled institutions that are mouthpieces for the national security state. And the national security state has no incentive to broadcast any message about extraterrestrials unless it's leading towards something like the false flag scenario that Dr. Greer has been warning about. I cannot imagine any other benefit to them, you know. Why else would they be broadcasting this message if they weren't going to ultimately twist this to demand more money, more funding, more power and control for themselves, for this military-industrial complex? So that's, that's, what, that's my frustration with TTSA. Um, Lou's a good guy. Tom's a good guy. These are sincere people. The rest of the people on their team, I'm not crazy about. Um, but was that a, was that a fair answer? I mean, you can push back on me and say, Michael, that's bullshit. You know, I mean, you can push back on me, but I'm just I'm just being honest. You know, I could be wrong. I could be missing something really big and obvious here. But um, you so know, you don't have to agree with me. But does it does it make sense? Way looking it, at this. It,
1: it does. And I keep going back to, and that this isn't me copping out on this because I will happily argue yeah. with anyone, right? Um I feel, just from my understanding of what potentially is going on, which I'm guessing Dr. Greer would have a better understanding than me, but you know, part of part of what I believe is made up of watching a lot of his content as well and agreeing or disagreeing with aspects of it. So I, I think there's more than more than one entity at play. Like, like Tom DeLonge said and what other people have said, it's it's more complex and complicated than spacecraft coming from another planet and landing here and doing whatever they're doing or saying hello or just kind of buzzing about nuclear facilities. So for me, it's like if Dr. Greer is seeing one set of entities who are friendly and nice and harmonious, then then that's fine. But it's, it's the same reason that whenever you move into a new neighborhood, no matter how nice it is and you know the people round about, you've no doubt got a lock on your front door because you can't trust everyone and you, you don't know what you don't know and I think with these entities potentially there's an aspect that that are there are entities that have our best interests at heart there are entities that probably just don't care and there are entities that maybe have another agenda of their own that's just where I'm kind of at and that's only something I've kind of came to the last couple of years again kind of getting more involved and as things have changed and yeah, it, and it all comes down to the fact that no one seems to know for a sure 100%, and you can always break it down as well with the, yeah, but this is what they want us to know, this is what they don't want you to know. And yeah, right. that's, that's that's probably true, because at the end of the day, could they cover this up? But then it's like, if I, if I, this is just me spitballing, but it's 2020, you've got commercial space flights going up soon. If there is stuff up there, which I, I would say there is like quite clearly, then are we not going to get this whole raft of celebrities and politicians and rich people seeing E.T. spacecraft flying about? And you can't keep them all quiet? So is it maybe just that now Now is the time? I, I don't know. That's just kind of one aspect of the argument for me.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I mean um, maybe. But, it, um, it's, but I'll also say that look a lot of these entities that people have you know had terrifying experiences with you know aren't necessarily extraterrestrial you there are definitely interdimensional beings what people have called demons or jinn or clockwork elves or you know reptilians or whatever that you know, everyone lumps everything in the same basket. You know, if you're a ghost hunter, everything's a ghost. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an alien guy, everything's an alien. And every, you know, every, if you're a, if you're an exorcist, everything's a demon. You know, and it's like, you know, there's all this different kind of phenomenon, and you know, it's it's not so much that Greer is saying. Uh, this is a big misunderstanding that Greer saying. Well, you know we've had all this peaceful contact through CE5, therefore ETs are peaceful. You know, that's not really what he's saying. He's saying certain things have to be true about us and them and the universe in order for CE5 to even work in the first place. And those things that need to be true, if you extrapolate them, You really think about it. They have implications that indicate that ETs are probably not a threat, like biological ETs, like ETs from other planets, uh, who are capable of visiting us are very unlikely to be a threat. That doesn't mean that there aren't other kinds of entities who are not biological ETs, but are definitely freaky and alien you know um and interdimensional that aren't like totally terrifying and malicious you know those things exist but in terms of biological ets there's a very very good case to be made that they they can't possibly be hostile
1: awesome I'll leave that one there because I, I think there's definitely more I would speak to about in the future on some of these. But we've got a lot of questions I want to get through as well that mm. might actually touch on some of the stuff you've said, man. So appreciate that answer, Michael. Um, yeah. So you recently said on Twitter that disclosure is happening and it's not 100% perfect or 100% truthful. But is that better than nothing or the alternative, in your opinion?
2: Um. It, it, it's not, it's not good or bad. It's just, it's an opportunity that can go in either direction. You know, um, I know that sounds like a kind of a lame answer, but it's, it's, it's absolutely the truth. Um, we can't just passively sit here and receive disclosure information from our trusted government officials, because most of these people, who are visibly talking about this stuff, you know, in our government are completely and utterly out of the loop and they have they have no real access. You know, I mean, Luis Elizondo was part of a unit trying to figure out what the hell these things are. They didn't have any access to these secret projects that have been deeply studying and back engineering this stuff for decades. You know, these people have no access. So you know, they're they're not the ones who are gonna be able to to give us the truth. They can raise awareness about the issue, they can get the conversation going, which is good if we actually then participate in that conversation and don't just passively sit back and let fucking, you know, Marco Rubio figure it out for us, because he's not gonna come up with the right answer. Um, any of these people who who are in the who are actually in the know and are allowed to speak out, are absolutely not gonna be telling us the truth. They're going to be perpetrating the the misinformation. They're gonna be pushing a disclosure narrative that further justifies the weaponization of space and the granting of trillions of dollars and a lot more power. To the military industrial complex. It's gonna, it's gonna be okay. Aliens are real. Now everyone line up behind Raytheon and we'll protect you from the evil aliens. That's where this could go, but it doesn't need to go that way. And, you know. For all your listeners out there, you know, if if UFOs are your thing and you know this is this is what you think about all day and you think this stuff is fucking awesome, and if there's a 0.1% chance that CE5 works, then why not just give it a chance and, and have your own direct experience? I mean, a lot of people on our teams, you see it in, in the movie, had face-to-face interactions with these beings. Sometimes on the first time they try it, you know, and then you don't have to, you know, try to discern, you know, if you should believe Stephen Greer or Tom DeLonge or David Wilcock, you know, you, you just, you, you, you have direct knowledge
1: Awesome. Listen, something you've touched on there, a few listeners have actually been in touch and said themselves they have tried CE5 and I've never had someone say it doesn't work if that answers that. So there are people that have got in touch with me and let me know about their own experiences with it. And it's something in the future that I'd be, be very tempted and i actually looking to try myself. So so yeah, it's definitely something that people have got in touch with me and said, you know what? Yeah, it's worked for me. So it's, there's, there's definitely something to it so um first question was from dan who picks the footage or photos of anomalies that go into the films as uh, there a vetting process for that
2: oh my god yeah and that was a really long and difficult process so you know we started with hard drives and hard drives of footage that greer's team has captured over the years on their expeditions and we had to go through thousands of hours of footage and try to pick out the best ones and then you know then we were sourcing stuff um you know there was a call for ce fibers to send stuff in uh and then also through our own network and jim martin was amazing and not just providing his own stuff which i think was the best footage in the whole movie but stuff that um people in his ce5 group had um had shot and then we had to you know drill down on okay who shot it where was it shot when was it shot do we know this person do we trust this person you know what was the provenance of this um and then you know we put it all in front of we i put you know probably like two thousand clips in front of dr greer over many different sessions and we'd analyze each one and he would give notes and you know he ultimately um approved every shot that we included and would, and would actually help us to interpret the image. You know, sometimes we're looking at something and we're like, what the hell is this? You know, and he was able to give us some insight into that. So that was very, very carefully um, curated with him. Um, And uh, we, we didn't want to accidentally, you know, put something in that was, that was fake or misrepresented or something like that.
1: Awesome, that's great. And Dan had one more question that I think I know the answer to anyway, but he likes to ask this to most of the guests. Are you a dog or a cat person?
2: Oh, a dog person. Cats are psychological terrorists.
1: <laughs> I, I am with you on the dog person thing, yeah. And cats are evil, you're right. Um, if there was ever 100%. a species on this planet that could be some kind of interdimensional demonic being, I would go with cats first, so yeah. Um, oh,
2: yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't believe in Satan until I had a cat,
1: so yes. Uh, yeah, I've had enough experiences with him like that. No offense to cat people out there, but you know. Um, so I had a few questions from Luke. Um, we've kind of talked about this, but just as suppose to sum it up, why do you think Dr. Greer polarizes opinion so much?
2: Oh... That's a good question. Um, well, I think the the number one reason is if you come across, you know, one of his lectures, you know, and and you and you're not familiar with him, and you haven't looked at the um, the actual source material and documents and witnesses that he's referencing you know, off the top of his head, you know, you'd think, well, who, who the fuck is this guy making all of these claims? Like how can anyone possibly, you know, claim to understand this phenomenon, this phenomenon is such a mystery, you know, like no one man could possibly have a monopoly on the truth about all of this. And I, I and I think that he speaks with such confidence and conviction Um and, and in such detail that on the face of it, it just seems ridiculous. It's like, wow, this guy must think a lot of himself to to just, you know, declare himself the authority on this and, and just, you know, say, this is how it is. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Um, and that's how he rubbed me. You know, when I was a skeptic, I'm encountering this. I'm like, wait, you believe this guy? You know? Um but then um, I looked at his actual evidence that he, that he was citing. And I would, anyone who's kind of on the fence about Steve and just thinks, oh my God, you know, this, this fucking guy, Google Dr. Stephen Greer. It's on YouTube. It's uh, his expose of the national security state. It's like three and a half hours. It's from 2015. And it's literally him on stage with a projector and he's just going through documents and it's just one document after the other that he's going through and analyzing in depth this presentation is actually what unacknowledged was based on unacknowledged was an attempt to take that presentation and condense it into like 90 minutes or 100 minutes um, and, to, and tell a story that was visually interesting and not just a guy standing up there with a projector. Um, but you can actually see official government so, uh, documents that have been vetted. Uh, some of them are actually on the CIA and FBI's own websites. Most of them have actually been officially declassified, um, and he's just going through and analyzing them. He's showing you, like, this is where I'm getting this from. Like, I'm not pulling this out of my ass. And he will, and write down the names of the people he's citing. You know, he's just he like effortlessly just pulls it out of pulls it out of his ass. All of these names he's throwing out, but these are actually all people, for the most part, um, who are in the Disclosure Project archives, and you can go and watch their witness interviews. And when you actually, you know, look at all of that stuff, you realize that Greer's interpretation of the phenomenon isn't something that he just made up. You know, it's actually based on just hundreds and hundreds of witness interviews that he has done on or off camera and tons of research. Um, So, you know, but it's a very unapologetic approach that he has. And I think it's very effective, but I can see why it would turn off some people. So that's the best answer I could give you.
1: No, great question. Great answer. Thanks for that, Luke. And Luke had another question on, what do you see as the biggest challenge for the CE5 movement? How does it go forward from here?
2: The The biggest challenge, I think, is, um, is this desire... To get, and I'm guilty of this. I'm on Twitter every day, bugging other people to give CE5 a shot, and I shouldn't be doing that. I, I think the biggest challenge is this desire to um, to recruit other people into into doing it. You know, if we're going to really practice what we preach, then people in the CE5 community need to focus on on themselves. On developing their own practice, raising their own consciousness, and and having their own contact experiences. Because that will, first of all, you know, if you're manifesting ET craft over your house, other people are gonna notice. <laughs> so that's probably the best way to wake people up instead of you know trying to show them a movie or talk to them about telepathically communicating with aliens because it sounds so fucking crazy um you know and but also you know we there is this sort of one percent effect that Greer talks about and you know and he didn't make this up this actually is a very old idea um that when we get into some of the research that kind of it kind of seems to validate it in the movie um but you know it, it it's you know, people who are practicing CE five are operating in a in a different paradigm. They're not operating in this sort of materialistic point of you know point of view where you know everything is just you know dead matter and a human being is just six dollars worth of chemicals. Add water and mix, you know. Um, but that everything is conscious and everything is interconnected, um, and so. Whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're experiencing, is going to have a ripple effect through the force. You know that's probably the best metaphor to use. So, you know, um, people in people doing CE5, they love to tell you about CE5. They want you to do CE5. You know, they want to go door to door and get everyone doing CE5. But ultimately. We need to, and I include myself in this, we need to just shut up and just do CE5. And that's how it's going to grow. Um, But, you know, in terms of there being like external obstacles or threats to the CE5 movement, I don't recognize any. You know, it's, it's a... It's a growing movement that is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's taking off across the world and it doesn't require anything external to the person who's doing it, just their own intention. So I don't know if it's a very good answer, but there it is.
1: No, sounded good. Uh, thanks for that question. Look, Paul, I asked his question earlier. It was about the abduction uh, phenomena. So thanks for your question, Paul couple more questions. We have Joe. So just a bit of a shout out for Joe Murgia, UFO Joe on Twitter. He's obviously done a a blog recently that was a four part on the Wilson documents, which I recommend everyone should go and read. Um, So his question for you here, it's got a little bit of detail in it, Michael. So in 1998, Dr. Greer and Commander Miller briefed General Patrick Hughes, head of the Defense Intelligence Agency on the subject. Hughes asked for an expedited briefing as he or his family had had experiences. Do you know what happened and what did they experience?
2: Oh, that is such a good question. I don't know, but I will ask, Joe, if you're listening, I will ask Steve. I'll give him a call on Monday and I'll shoot you a message uh, on Twitter uh, with whatever I find out.
1: I'm sure he'll appreciate that, and a good question, Joe. And Joe also asked because it's something we've not brought up on the show. But again, trying to cram a lot in. What details around the Admiral Wilson affair can you share that haven't been shared already?
2: I don't know anything beyond uh, what Dr. Greer has has shared publicly and what has come out. Um, I see that a lot of people are saying, you know, I wish Dr. Greer would kind of address the uh, you know the the Tom Wilson stuff, since you know since all this stuff was leaked. I believe he ha- actually has addressed it in his recent Jimmy Church interviews. But when I talk to him, I'm going to say, hey, a lot of people are asking me to address this. So um, you know, maybe we can get him to, to release a statement or a video or something.
1: And you know what? I think that ties in, though, with what you were saying, Michael, before about all this information is generally out there, but it's just so fragmented within ufology that it's trying to piece it all together and that is where your documentaries have, have really helped massively with things like that so um and last one engaging the phenomenon on twitter who everyone should be following um he's he's asked what you think about the current climate and development so those massive rumors we're about to get a new york times article on crash retrievals we've obviously got this bill going through the senate that you've touched on where, where are we kind of at with everything in your opinion
2: Kind of following this rumor about the the New York Times, uh, the alleged uh, imminent New York Times piece um, about crash retrievals. I mean, look on the surface, totally great. People are going to start taking this seriously. They're going to wake up, but again, we can't just sit back and passively receive disclosure from the New York Times. That is going to be. Disastrous for all of us. So, if it's the New York Times that red pills you and sparks your own investigation into this stuff, awesome. As long as you're not just stopping there, you know, and you don't have to just, I'm not saying just go read Steve's stuff, you know, and listen to Steve. You know, you should, since, you know, he basically started the worldwide disclosure movement and he his you know, the disclosure project is an amazing resource. Even if you don't like Steve, even if you think he's awful, you know, his witnesses are amazing, you know? So go check them out and, and, and form an opinion, but then, you know, look at what everyone else is doing in this space. There are a lot of great researchers out there. Um, but we just, we, we can't, we can't leave it to the absolute, monsters and sociopaths in washington dc and the legacy media to figure this out for us and and report back like that that's not going to end well
1: awesome and he's also asked and it was going to be one of my last questions for you anyway michael what's next for you and what are some of your upcoming projects that you might want to talk about
2: so i'm working on a documentary right now about the uh current pandemic and that will be out hopefully in december uh that's what we're aiming for uh but it's very very ambitious you know trying to make a movie in four months i gotta deliver it in november we're gonna make that um so that's that's what i'm doing now i'm also um uh, working with some very, very big producers and we're developing a whole docu-series and then some um, additional, um, uh, additional follow-on projects all based on Danny Sheehan's work. And you know, if you want to understand the people and the mentality who have been controlling the UFO stuff, you've got to read Danny Sheehan's book, The People's Advocate. Danny Sheehan was an unacknowledged and close encounters of the fifth kind. This guy is probably the most prolific civil rights attorney of all time. He's Certainly the most accomplished one living today. This guy worked on Watergate. Uh, His first case out of law school was the Pentagon Papers. He represented the New York Times. That's when he realized that the New York Times was just a mouthpiece for the CIA. Um, He uncovered Iran-Contra. Um, and sued the government over that. He did Karen Silkwood, Three Mile Island, um, the Wounded Knee trial, the Greensboro Ma- the Greenboro massacre. Uh, he did. Uh, he's currently representing the tribes at Standing Rock, and you know he got sucked into the UFO stuff because when Jimmy Carter became president, you know Jimmy Carter had seen a UFO. So he, the first thing he did on day one as president was that I want to see the UFO stuff. And his CIA director at the time, who was uh, Papa Bush, he said, "We're not going to show that to you." So, uh, he, you know, he Carter had to sort of, you know, go around uh, his own government to try to get access to this stuff, and it ended up falling into the hands of Danny Sheehan to get into the Project Blue Book archives, and he did. And you know what he saw completely changed his life. He ended up, uh, representing John Mack at Harvard with, um, you know, when they tried to destroy him. Um, and, uh, and Danny became a disclosure project witness and the attorney for the disclosure project and helped put the whole thing together. But, um, you know, he, like, please Google this guy, listen to his Jimmy church interviews, read his book. You can read it for free. If you have a Kindle, you know you can get it on Amazon for free, The People's Advocate, but it is the most devastating expose of the national security state and this 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 mentality that drives this evil transnational apparatus, and this is the same apparatus that has consumed all of the UFO stuff and the UFO tech. And, uh, and you, I, I really believe that you you can't understand fully understand the UFO stuff unless you understand you know the kinds of the kind of information that Danny Sheehan has been putting out there about how this stuff actually works behind the scenes. You know what is the ideology, what is the worldview that is possessing the people who secretly run our country and run our military and run our intelligence agencies from the shadows Like, how can we actually assess this unless we understand who the players are and so um, it, it, I promise it'll be one of the most thrilling reads of your life go pick up that book
1: that is a great answer and thanks for all those questions we did get a lot more but a lot of them I feel we've answered within the conversation anyway folks Michael, if you don't mind giving us five more minutes of your time, not even that, um, I just want to get your thoughts. So the quickfire round, I normally ask for a couple of words or a sentence just on a topic or a person. Some of them we've kind of touched on, but just as a very, very quick summary, if you don't mind, and then we'll finish. Let's do it. So the first one we've talked about them Non-Stop, but it's going to be Stephen Greer.
2: Misunderstood.
1: The next one would be To the Stars Academy.
2: Definitely not what it seems. And uh, certainly well-intentioned, but misguided. Um, Extraterrestrials? Oh, the most misunderstood of all. Extremely advanced, uh, extremely spiritually advanced biological entities. Not to be confused with interdimensional beings, ghosts, angels, demons, or Richard Doty in an alien costume.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Um, Skinwalker Ranch?
2: Uh, Overplayed. I'm I'm kind of bored with it. It's definitely real. Uh, Lots of crazy shit going on there. It's my understanding, but don't necessarily quote me on this, that the reason why it's such a hub uh, for activity is that there were a lot of, uh, advanced USAP, which is unacknowledged special access program, uh, experiments going on there. And they, you know, kind of like stranger things kind of stuff. So that, that, uh, has kind of turned it into a hotspot. But, um, I, I haven't studied it too closely because, you know, I'm fascinated with, with, the wider phenomenon, not just this one location that everyone obsesses over for some reason.
1: That's awesome. Uh, two more. That one is consciousness.
2: The only thing we can be a hundred percent sure is real. And it's literally the only thing that we can be a hundred percent sure is real. Uh, and yet our current scientific paradigm tells us that it doesn't actually exist and that your conscious experience is an illusion. So think about that, realize how absurd it is, and then ask yourself, well, what else are they wrong about? And what what new paradigm might we replace that with? And then if we look at ETs through that new paradigm, how does the whole narrative
1: shift? And the last one is disclosure.
2: Um, it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. For me, the closest thing we're ever going to get uh, to what most people think of as disclosure you know, press conference stuff like that. It happened in two thousand one at the National Press Club. You know, I think that's the best we're going to get, and you know, we we've got to stop looking to uh, a solution external to ourselves for this. Um, if you if you understand consciousness, you understand the science of consciousness. If you understand this revolution that's taking place in physics and medicine and biology and philosophy, all these fields converging around this question of consciousness. And if you embrace this emerging paradigm, then, uh, you start to understand that, um, everything outside of you is a projection of what's within you and you know if you want to live in a post-disclosure world then we have to work on ourselves and we have to create that within ourselves and we have to become worthy of that and that's what that's what the ce5 community is all about
1: michael it's been great speaking with you thank you very much for your time Much appreciated and look forward to speaking to you again on the show. Thank you. Folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Michael was great with his time and it was very late over in Los Angeles when he was recording as well. So again, massive thanks to Michael and I look forward to hearing him and speaking with him again down the line. Big shout out just before we finish off to Tara and Matt, new Patreons over at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. Folks, remember, you get early access to bonus content, and I do plan on making a few more bonus shows this month in July as well. I can't see me not making something about Unidentified and reviewing the episodes as they come out as well, folks. Might even do a bit of a daily update on that one. Let me know what you think. And um, also, folks, just to round off the show, again, thank you for all your listens. This wouldn't be possible without all of you. The number of you listening all over the world is really, really humbling, and it's incredible. Please get in touch at UFO UAPAM on Twitter, on the Facebook page, That UFO Podcast, and Instagram is up and running as well, That UFO Podcast on Instagram, folks. Please give us a shout, and I'll definitely make sure I say hello. Folks, this is the new outro music for the show called Goblin Problems, and this is by Sean K. Hill at Minty Hyperspace drop him a hello really cool guy some amazing stuff on his twitter feed as well and someone you definitely should be following folks until next time keep looking up you never know what you
0: might see it
2: wasn't a tic tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by or a little baroque like steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked to the forehead.
0: Meditated game of fateful, on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better.
2: I got to the top of the stairs, and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz...
0: I pissed myself,
2: and I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. And I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream,
0: they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and I think I should see therapy, and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me.